It's just an incredible honor for me to introduce to you Pastor Ernest Gentile. He's not a stranger to City Harvest Church, especially in our beginning years. Uh, Pastor Ernest really laid a foundation uh, in this church as a prophet of the Lord. He is, uh, he is 88 years old. And uh, he's still writing books. He, he is, uh, he's the author, I believe, of eight books. I've, I've probably read every one of his books. The first book I ever read of Ernest was Charismatic Catechism. Do you remember that book he wrote? I was just thinking if he can remember some of the things you did. <laughs> still in print. But uh, I've read uh, your sons and daughters uh, will prophesy, you know, the people. Uh, is a great, probably one of the best books written on the prophetic. And... Uh, his book, Worship God, has been a manual for here. We go, we go to as our point of reference over and over and over again. And uh, the uniqueness of, of, of Brother Ernest is, is one, is that he is a true prophet of the Lord. He hears from God. He has a deep communion with the Holy Spirit and, uh, that we all honor and respect. Uh, they, but, but combined with that is that he is a, he's a great teacher and a great researcher so any book you read of his is backed by hours and hours of research. And uh, it's not just something he had a, you know, kind of this quickened moment at midnight just to write down what he thought was the theology of the church. He's, it, he digs in deep. Appreciate him. Uh, is just a man of God. He's, he's one of the fathers of what was known as the, the 48 revival. It goes all the way back post-World War II. There was a great move of the Spirit that had a number of different streams to it, the healing streams. Some of you remember Oral Roberts and A. Allen and those. Had a great prophetic stream that came out of northern uh, Canada that really touched the world. And even like nations today like Uganda and, and uh, China are deeply impacted by that movement even to this day. And so it's a great honor to have him with us, to hear his heart, what he would say to this generation. And some of you 55, 60, 65-year-olds, you're always thinking you're old sometimes, but really he's talking to you and I. We're, we're the next generation too today. Okay, whether you're a millennial, a nexter, a builder, a boomer, next to Ernest, you're the next generation. But, uh, but uh, I would like us to just tell them how much we appreciate and receive his gift today. And let's, uh, t- come on. Amen. And there's one more thing I, I neglected to say is that he's going to be doing a two-part sermon. So part one is this morning, part two is tonight at 5.30. So you're going to get part two tonight. So I'm encouraging, I know that might not be your custom to come out twice on a Sunday. Old schoolers, that was nothing. But, but you're going to want to come back because Jesus is going to be here tonight. And uh, so I just want to let you know his part two is going to be tonight. Ernest, here you go. God bless you. Thank you, Sonny. (laughs) It's wonderful to be 88, get all kinds of accolades and so forth. Well, I'm delighted to be here. We've known your pastors a long time, and it's been a wonderful journey to serve the Lord as we have. 
I don't think you fully realize the importance of your being in this church. This church in this city is very significant, and it is destined to grow more than you believe and go to farther places than you ever thought possible. And some of you that are just sitting there are destined to go as a missionary or carry the message. Amen. Am I speaking too loudly? Okay. Well, you know, you pray about it. What kind of a message do you bring to a church like this? Uh, you're going to be surprised at the simplicity of it, and yet I think a number of things may be new to many of you, but it's dealing with bare essentials. I'm going to be talking this morning and this evening about the fact that we presently live in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. A dispensation is a period of time, like a day, a year, a millennium. But a lot of times people do not understand where we are and they don't know how to act religiously. They don't know how to respond to God. They don't really understand what the message of the hour is. And I'm going to put a heavy emphasis upon this business of being filled with the Spirit because this is the Spirit dispensation. That's what you're supposed to have. And that's how you're going to make it and be successful in it. Well, I'm going to open with prayer. If you pray one more time with me, please. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your blessed word. We thank you for the privilege of ministering and hearing and participating in this great period of time that you've set apart for the Holy Spirit to be active and moving in our hearts and throughout the earth. Thank you, Lord, for pouring out your Spirit in so many places. Oh, God, we thank you that you have here a, a people that are hungry for you and calling upon your name. Let none go away empty. May they be filled with the power of your Holy Spirit. And may the witness of the living God come to this city in a profound way beyond the expectations of any of the people. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and we'll give you the glory. Amen. Amen. Well, in a few moments, I'd like to contrast the first Pentecost, which was when the law was given at Mount Sinai, and the last Pentecost, which is described in Acts chapter 2. I'd like to just talk a little bit about the early church, first of all. If you've read the Acts of the Apostles, you understand quite a bit about how the church operated in those days. If you read the epistles, you see how Paul especially laid out the operation of the local church and the things to believe and 
how the Lord wants to work in people's lives. But sometimes we miss the history that took place for the first couple of hundred years. And because of that, we don't fully understand why the church changed from the way it was in the Acts of the Apostles. It seems like the the way they functioned in the Acts of the Apostles was rather simplistic compared to the way uh, some of the formal churches function today, for instance. Not speaking critically, but the Catholic Church, for instance, the congregational type churches, uh, they're not really functioning the way we read in the New Testament. Although in all of those churches, the same scripture is read. It's discussed. The catechism classes teach with answers that are taken from the New Testament, and yet they are just words. They are not a living, vibrant, powerful Holy Spirit activity. I'd like to mention a few things here that maybe you don't know. I was surprised in, when I was writing a book about the Holy Spirit, I, I actually, I must have read about 40 different books about the Holy Spirit. And one author is, was an Assembly of God pastor in Canada. And... Uh, he said something that I thought was rather astounding. I hadn't known it until I read about it. But he said that the last uh, record of one of the nine gifts of the Spirit functioning in the churches took place in around 240 A.D. Well, not too many people have researched that sort of a thing out, but he went through all the old manuscripts and all... I don't know all that he did, but the way he described it, he did a pretty thorough job. But it's interesting that we think in terms of, well, we're in the time of the New Testament, but we're in a time in which the New Testament is not revered in the same way it was in the days of the Acts of the Apostles. There's a great change there. Maybe some of you uh, are of a Methodist background like myself, Maybe some of you here are of a Catholic background. Regardless of what church you come from, you probably can remember discrepancies, certain things that should have been different if it was to conform with the teachings of the Bible. Why in the world would the gifts of the Spirit stop functioning in 240 A.D. or whatever the date was? At least sometime within that century, there was a cessation, a ceasing of the activity of the Holy Spirit, such as prophecy and so forth. Why did that happen? I hope this doesn't seem too simplistic, but actually there was a kind of a reaction begin, beginning to take place as the charismatic people in the churches were evidencing the, their typical charismatic manifestations, and uh, the bishops, which were trying to take control and be pastors. Basically, a bishop should be a pastor. But 
They were more like professional administrators who didn't like the unpredictability to have someone suddenly pop up with a prophecy, especially if they were prophesying something that they didn't believe. Well, they got to the point where I'm, you know, I'm oversimplifying this perhaps, but the basic thought is here. When you realize uh, the hostility, the antagonism that started to build within the church as the bishops wanted to be in charge and to do things in a very deliberate way, predictable way, and also retain their power and authority to make decisions for the church, and then to have these people functioning within the church that had this spontaneous reaction of the Holy Spirit, and, and especially with prophecy or speaking in tongues. So the church began to formalize. And they did believe in Jesus, but the whole scripture became a formalized set of beliefs that sometimes you just repeated rather than experienced. Some of you have probably gone through a catechism course in a denominational church, and you realize that it's possible to go through uh, a church introduction program and still come out not being an overcoming Christian particularly or a spirit-filled Christian, but to come forth lacking that dynamite, that dynamic excitement that was a part of the early church. Well, it didn't take long for it to be lost. And what I'm going to talk about in just a few moments is, uh, is what began to happen through the ages and where I perceive we are. I can say right now that I think we're pretty close to the end, and I think most of you, not all of you, would agree with me. But I would like to uh, use Acts chapter 2 as a beginning point. Now, Acts chapter 2, uh, a church like this is very familiar with Acts chapter 2. I mean, it's kind of a challenging thing to even bring the thought up. You, why do you have to bring that up? Especially if you've been speaking in tongues for 50 years. Well, I, I'd like to just say some things that I think are very significant for today. I think most, if not all of you, believe that Acts chapter 2 is a very striking chapter in the whole New Testament. And uh, as Peter is preaching that Pentecostal sermon, it's, it is just an amazing thing because he is claiming that what is taking place actually had been predicted well, way back in the time of Joel, which goes back to maybe the 6th century B.C. That's a long time. We don't know exactly when Joel was ministering, but they say that that's probably the time. And when you go back to Joel, you find that the very words that Peter is quoting in Acts chapter 2 were what Joel predicted would be taking place. 
course, when Joel was prophesying, he probably didn't see the activity that began to take place. He just gave the scripture. But Acts chapter 2, the great old familiar statement, now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Well, the first Pentecost, although it, doesn't, it is not stated that way in the book of Exodus, but apparently if you count it out, as I've tried to figure it out, but it seems to be that the first Pentecost was actually at Mount Sinai. When Moses received the Ten Commandments and God spoke audibly and the people were scared to death, darkness on the mountain and then fire and the voice of God, the law was given. And it's interesting that in the first Pentecost, the law was given. In this last Pentecost, the New Testament era opened, or it was the time of the Holy Spirit, and the law that is placed in the heart rather than given out in stone tablets. I'm very pleased to live in this era, this period of time. Mount Sinai experience took place maybe 1,500 years before the cross. The first Pentecost and then the second Pentecost. There was fire in both places. The voice of God was heard in both places. A law was given in the Old Testament in the first Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit wrote the law in the hearts of people in the second Pentecost. Well, when it was fully come, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Talks about tongues. It, let me just describe it rather than read it. I don't know how you visualize it, but in this great temple, that had been constructed there in Jerusalem. This was the fulfillment of 1,500 years of legalism and working with the Mosaic law, the Levitical law, and trying to serve God and be what they ought to be. But for some reason, it just didn't work out so well. Well, they just didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. They didn't have Jesus as a personal savior uh, there's, we could explain in more detail but I think everyone here realizes in that particular period of time it just was uh, it was not it was not a personal thing, it was not a real thing God did not inhabit them the way the Holy Spirit comes within us The miracle of Pentecost. There was a, a mighty rushing wind. Although nothing was being blown away, you didn't see the dust flying before the wind. There was the sound of wind. I think the disciples were in the court of the women. Now, some of you don't even think about 
this. Maybe you haven't heard that there was a court of the women, but inside of this great temple that took up a fifth of the size of Jerusalem was this huge temple, and part of the, of the most sacred part was a, it wasn't the inner sanctum, but just before you went into the part where the, there was sacrifice, this court of the women was not only for women, but also for men, and would have held several thousand people. The reason I was interested in that, I was trying to figure out where the Pentecost took place. So I wrote a lot of letters to different people and read this and read that, tried to figure it out. And finally, after about six months of research, I came to the conclusion that this is where it took place. Well, why would they be in the court of the women? It was especially a place of prayer. And it would provide the, the place where they could gather and be seeking God. Of course, there was a lot of Jewish people who were praying at that time. But the disciples of Jesus were together. And the Holy Spirit came down in a powerful way. They were filled. Now, I don't know how you were filled. I've prayed for a lot of people to be filled with the Spirit. Sometimes people, you know, they, they may even sound like they're speaking in tongues, and you, you try to figure out, you know, they're so calm about it, you know. I like the baptism of the Spirit where the power comes into your life. You can't speak in English. You can only speak in this language that comes from the Holy Spirit. It just is revolutionary. It happened to me when I was about 15 years of age, and it's been with me for 70 years. I, I pray in tongues every day. I, some of you may say, well, what do you mean every day? Well, just exactly that. <laughs> what? At every day or any time, any place? And it's something that I've discovered in preaching in different churches. Some people just have a shunda mahunda kind of a thing. <laughs> well, speak in tongues. Shunda mahunda. Uh, can you say something, something more? Shunda Mahunda. You can, you can have a new tongue every day. It's, it's not that difficult, just yield is the same way. I don't know what that was, but that was tongues. <laughs> but it doesn't always have to sound like that. Well, how long do you want me to keep going? I can just... <laughs> Why am I doing this? I'm trying to just say that you can have a dynamic experience. You can, you can even be... Uh, awakened in the night or even in, in your dreams it happens. Sometimes it happens. You don't have to necessarily be saying it either. In my mind, many times, I'm, because of where I'm at, I'm not 
going to be speaking in tongues, scaring everybody half to death. But I'm <laughs> in my mind, it's, there's an activity of the Holy Spirit. And then the, beyond that, it, there's a prophetic edge to the Holy Spirit, which is putting it into the language of the people, which is basically what prophecy is. Well, in that first Pentecost, God did the talking, and of course the fire was on the mountain, and that was an awesome experience. But just think for a moment about how this, in this second Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost that we're reading in Acts 2, suddenly it's just like a great sheet of fire comes, and there's a great sound of wind, and, uh, you know, no one has heard or seen anything like this. But as the, as the tongues come in, it's like a fireball. But then it's, it just breaks into tongues of fire, that is, segments of fire, so that the 120 uh, followers of Jesus that are there find that as, as it breaks up into segments, that there's a tongue of fire that comes and sits upon each one. They were literally being baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. Wow. That's pretty amazing. But even more amazing was that they begin to react in the most unusual manifestation. And that manifestation was that they would begin to speak in the language that they had not learned or were not educated in. There were people, Jewish people, that were there from all over the Roman Empire. At least 15 different places are mentioned there in the second chapter of Acts. And they were speaking, and they spoke their native language as well as as. Jews, they were speaking Jewish. Well, when the Holy Spirit came down suddenly in this place, the court of the women, a sacred, sacred place of prayer, no Gentiles were allowed. There had never been any Gentile in that room who said anything. And now all of a sudden, we have 120 Jewish people that are miraculously speaking in Gentile languages. God trying to get a message across that there's a change that is taking place. Wow. Well, so, are these people drunk? I guess some of them are shaking a little bit. I mean, this is kind of an exciting time. But no, they're not drunk. It's too early in the morning for people to get drunk. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit was upon them. What was happening? Well, the period of the law of 1,500 years had just terminated. The dispensation, or the period of time that we call the dispensation of the Holy Spirit or the church has been inaugurated. 
And it's been going on for 2,000 years. And according to the scripture, it seems like it's drawing near to the end. That same Holy Spirit that so manifested himself in the first Pentecost wishes to continue to outpour the Spirit. It was the will of the Lord for this whole 2,000-year period and beyond even to be a time in which the Holy Spirit would operate inside of his people, inside of the church in a dynamic way. And as we come to the very end, let's not just fizzle out right at the end like a runner that runs his heart out and then he just has to stop and just kind of walk across the finish line but not win the race. It must not be that way. It is time for the people of God to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not to be foolish, not to be fanatical. I don't, I don't know how you've done things, but I know when I was a teenager, we witnessed in a lot of funny ways, like, you know, driving the car down, rolling down the window. You're going to hell, this is, except Jesus. <laughs> well, it, it was kind of exciting. You see people react, you know. But, <laughs> but in a way, it was foolish, too. And I'm, not, I'm not saying that we're supposed to do foolish things. I'm just saying that, first of all, personally, well, when you're by yourself, you can stand on your head if you want to pray, and uh, I, you know, no one cares. But in the house of God, there is order, but there is also the movement of the Holy Spirit and how those gifts of the Spirit can revitalize our lives and change our families and just make real missionaries out of us. Well, Joel's great prophecy was really initiated a little over 2,000 years ago, and there, there it is. We're still in the same period of time. We're not in the millennium yet. I guess some people believe we are, but I, when you read about the millennium, I don't see what's, what I read about in our society but the fact is that we are still in the time in which the Holy Spirit is decreed to be in the church and filling us and reaching the whole world with the gospel. Um, I'm not the greatest of world travelers uh, like your pastor. I, I've only been to 24 nations that doesn't amount to much of course I went to several places a number of times but what I'm saying is when you, when you have traveled and you see how the Holy Spirit is moving in some places of the world underprivileged places of the world places where people have little they may not dress as well as you do or eat as good a food as you do or 
they may have a disease or problems. I've often wondered just how the Lord looks at this situa situation. I think we're supposed to be grateful to be Americans, for instance, but not in the sense that we forget what's happening in the whole world and how, how the Spirit of God is moving in every national group and every family group. And what uh, I'm saying all this to say, we are close to the end. I mean, we should live not strangely or not be late to work or something else or you know, various things that can happen if you adopt this kind of a mentality. But we must adjust our thinking to the fact that we are near the end of the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And it is ordained that great and marvelous, wonderful, miraculous things are to tra transpire that will enable a great harvest of the nations of the world before the final end comes. Don't wait for a millennium to do that. That'll automatically just take over as Jesus comes. But the Great Commission is still in effect. The Holy Spirit baptism is in effect. And if you're here and you don't happen to be a Christian or you're just thinking about it, to become a Christian, you're going to have to believe in Jesus Christ with your heart. You need to make a public statement I'm going to follow Jesus. That's what water baptism does. There's a spiritual aspect to it too, too, but basically you're taking a public stand. But then thirdly, you need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what would happen if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? I think it's probably going to be similar to what we find in the Acts of the Apostles. You see, the Jews had their great opportunity when the Holy Spirit was poured out. But the Romans hadn't been touched. Well, undoubtedly, some of those Jewish people were speaking Roman, and others recognized it, but the ones that recognized it were Jews, and that's because they were from Rome. Well, the Holy Spirit is now moving in such a way that he is interested, vitally interested in not just touching all the nations of the world, but raising up that final group of people that were part of, that are part of the church of the last days. One of the reasons that the Holy Spirit is, causes you to speak in another language is he takes, well, as James says, the most unruly member of your body, your tongue, the uncontrollable part of you, and causes it to glorify God. I first heard that, seven, that thought 70 years ago, and it still makes sense to me today. Really. Don't be afraid of 
something like speaking in tongues or shaking a little bit. I mean, you, considering all the things that people do today, it's, just, it's, just, it's unbelievable. Don't be, don't be afraid to let the Holy Spirit move upon you. And not only in a church setting where maybe you shake or do something like that, but let him move upon you at work. When everything is rather, it's started to say calm and collected, but maybe you don't work in that kind of an environment. But at, at any rate, that you're not being foolish in whatever setting you are, but the Holy Spirit is alive within you. And you're looking for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't mean to speak in tongues to people. I don't mean to get uh, fanatical or foolish, but to just explain in common language and not get upset if people don't want to hear anymore. Just talk as long as you can and then back off if they don't want to hear anymore. Take it easy. <laughs> Chill off a little bit about this thing. most exciting time I had in my whole life was when I was in high school because there was a group of us that just loved God and we witnessed and talked to the teachers and got balled out by the principal and just really got the faculty kind of stirred up as well as the student body. But people got saved. Hallelujah. I'm I, I would like to see every, like if every person in this place would allow Jesus to be in your heart, be baptized, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not saying that you're going to go anywhere, like go to work and speak in tongues, but just find how the, a revolutionary thing happens within you so that prayer becomes real and powerful and deliberate. This is the time in which we are supposed to have the Holy Spirit active within us, especially in our prayer ministry and in our witnessing and whatever we do. You may feel, well, I can do it without the Spirit. Well, you can go through a religious ritual, but as far as having a dynamic impartation to you and through you, uh, you, you have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. One thing that surprised me, uh, one day when I was preaching, and I forget where it was, but it, uh, I just felt kind of inspired to say, how many of you have spoken in tongues before? Well, you know, I, I guess there was maybe half of the people in that church had spoken in tongues before. And then I just felt, uh, how many of you have spoken in more than one tongue? Nobody uh, lifted their hands. And I did something that I've duplicated into a, a number of churches. I said, well... 
you can speak in another language. You know, some people, when they're being prayed for or being instructed, they, they feel that, well, uh, all I have to do is yield. You know, I've heard a lot of people use that term, and maybe you use it too, and uh, it's a good term. Yield, just let it happen, you know. Uh, well, I do let it happen. It's always Shanda Mahanda. <laughs> I, I knew one woman... Well, I, I remember her because I, I was just a teenager and she was one of the neighbors. And so her way of speaking in tongues is Shanda Mahanda, Shanda Mahanda. The words, she got louder as, as the spirit moved. <laughs> but her way of yielding to the spirit was. Just let Shanda Mahanda have its way. Shanda Mahanda, Shanda Mahanda. Oh, Shanda Mahanda. <laughs> you need to just take it easy and <laughs> you calm down and just you could speak in a dozen different languages. And, and then for the first time, I, I felt inspired to say, this time we're not going to find somebody who hasn't spoken in any tongues, but uh, who have spoken in only one tongue, like Shanda Mahanda. And just open yourself to a new dimension of the Holy Spirit. I know I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I don't think I am. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you, you really, I'm only going to be talking for five more minutes here. So don't get nervous about this. But really, why do if, for instance, you're just a Shanda Mahanda type spirit-filled person, just forget that and just open yourself to, uh, to the flow. It's amazing how when you open yourself to the Holy Spirit and allow your tongue to be used, it has a transforming effect. If you've never experienced it, I can tell you that you don't blank out in your mind, you don't go crazy, you're, you're not, uh, it's, it's not what you might imagine. It's, it's of the Holy Spirit. And it, it's amazing how it edifies you. That's why 1 Corinthians 14 says that. Have you ever considered why the Apostle Paul had such a great ministry. Now, some of you are going to say, well, I'm not going to believe that. Well, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all. There it is. 
course, that's all he said right there. I don't, but I'm assuming, and I think it's, it's true. If you let the Holy Spirit flow through you in your prayer time, you don't always have to pray in tongues, and you don't always have to revert back to Acts chapter 2. We are now in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to use that initial baptism into his spirit and the fire and the excitement of the Holy Spirit to enable you to reach the harvest and to cause the congregational meetings of God to be blessed by that unique presence of the Lord working through all the members, including you. If we would just be open to this, we would discover that the, the excitement, the ecstasy of the early church was meant to, re, to continue in our day. And you are to be a participant in the close of the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. This is not a time to dig in your heels. This is not a time to say, well, I don't want to change. We all have to upgrade.